Welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm your host, Corey Graham. Join us here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where the independent new authors come first. There's a new book out there written by William H.S. Allen. It's titled The Life and Times of Robert F. Massey. And I get to find out all about this new book. The author, William, is here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. William, welcome to the show. I appreciate you joining me here tonight. Hey, I'm glad to be on here to speak with you. I'm glad you're here as well, William. Can you tell me all about the life and times of Robert F. Massey? Well, I'm an old man, and back in the day when I was about 65 years old, I never gave any thought to writing a novel. I mean, that was something that was not in my wheelhouse. I never even thought about it. Hmm. I'm primarily a musician. I play a lot of instruments. I sing. I write songs. I play in two bands. So this was something that I didn't really think about doing it. But I was teaching school. I taught high school English for a few years. From a textbook, an English textbook, there was one page in there, which was a little story about this man, Robert F. Massey. And Robert F. Massey was a true historical character, but hardly anything's known about him, which really was good for me because then I could construct his story because, I mean, I spent a lot of time trying to find anything about Robert F. Massey, and there was absolutely nothing out there about him, except for this one little incident that happened at Ford Independence in the Boston Harbor. It captured, I'm not going to give you the details about that incident, you can read your good book, <laughs> but I was captivated by that page, and I just started thinking, boy, that would be a great climax to end a book, what this man had written about, Edward Snow, who was a historian author in the Boston area. So I was fascinated by it. And I just started just kind of thinking, well, I'll just start writing something. And so I just started back, you know, before Robert F. Massey was born and started writing about his, what I thought his family would be like and what his life would be like. And I ended up, this book basically goes, the timeline of this book is the full life of Robert F. Massey and all the things that happened to him and his family. Oh, wow. Uh, there's a lot of, a lot of, I think, a lot of exciting things that take place in this book. A lot of climaxes, a lot of ups, a lot of downs. And there are a lot of captivating characters. I just kept coming up with characters. And I tried to develop them the best I could. And so that's kind of how I started with the book. And William, what kinds of readers do you think would be really into this? Well, I don't think you could narrow it down to a particular kind of reader. I think it could be a very broad base of people that could read this book. Uh, I think anybody that likes to read, whether you're really into historical fiction, which is what this is, historical fiction, but whether you re read a lot of historical fiction or you just like to read or you like history, I think anybody would enjoy this book. And it would even be, I think, appropriate for middle school and high school kids because it's written, I, I would guess it's probably, I probably wrote it at a ninth or 10th grade level. It's not a hard book to read. Mm. And uh, I think it could appeal to a lot of people. And there's a lot of history in there. I mean, how many people know about the Embargo Act of 1807? Can you tell me about it? No, I think I might have heard about it last in school at some point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Well, there's a lot of history in this. Like one first person that read the book, they said, wow, I, I learned a lot about history by reading this book. I spent more time doing research than I did writing, to be honest. I mean, I just had to research and research and then I'd write a little bit and I'd research. And then I'd go through this period of time where I was having writer's block and wasn't really getting anywhere. And I put it on a shelf and, and decided I was going to give up. And about a year after that, I just thought, my gosh, I can't quit now. I've, I've already started this thing. I've got to proceed. So I went back in and started working on it again. And before long, I had a novel, you know. About the same time, I put out my album of 10 original songs. It's just about completed. I'm going to be putting that out, too. But, oh, wow. So those have been my two projects is playing music and, and writing music and recording music and writing this novel. Wow. And I think a lot of readers are going to love this book, too. Again, the title is The Life and Times of Robert F. Massey. It's written by William H.S. Allen. It's published by Newman Springs Publishing, so it's available everywhere. Get on over to Amazon or Barnes & Noble or iTunes or traditional brick-and-mortar stores, and you'll be able to find this. William, I really appreciate you coming on the show here tonight and telling me all about your work. I had a nice time talking with you. Hey, I appreciate it. I appreciate it very much, and perhaps we can speak again somewhere down the line. Joining me here right now at the Reader House Author Roundtable, I'm really happy to be talking with author Nikki R. Miller. Nikki, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me here tonight. Thank you. Thank you for having me. The pleasure's all mine. I'm excited. I wanted to say congratulations to you. You have a new book out called Change of Heart, Never Say Never. Uh, Nikki, can you tell me about it? Absolutely. Well, first of all, people think that it's just the book, but to be transparent, I actually wrote a screenplay, oh, wow. Change of Heart, because I'm a filmmaker. What I did was turn the screenplay into this novel. Hmm. And so it's actually a movie. And so it is based on true events with a touch of fiction to it. So it's about Kevin Hardy Jr., which is a project development engineer. He refuses to forgive his father for hurting him and his mother after catching him with another woman when he was a teenager. And it's traumatic to him because his dad holds a prestigious position as a deacon in the church. And so it really is a traumatic hurt for him. So what he does is that he ends, of course, saying that he never forgives his dad. He doesn't care what happens. And he ends up taking that hurt and that anger and pain into his own family. And the devil uses that as a toy and it backfires against him. And so it kind of, he kind of sets the trap. The devil sets the trap for him using the same situation as his dad. And he just makes this haste decision by taking a trip that his wife really doesn't approve. And while he's away, his family just goes in chaos. There's something traumatic that happens with the son. He misses out on an important game for another son. And so he's faced with trying to figure out, does, does he come back for this? or stay and do the project, or does he go back home? And so he has to figure out how to bring healing and reconciliation back to his family that's nearly being destroyed. Nikki, who are you writing for? What sorts of readers do you think would be really into this? I would say those that have maybe struggled in the past and with any hurt, it's not really just this particular hurt, but with those that have struggled in the past. And I just want to say too, one of those sons that I talked about with a traumatic situation happens, he ends up getting molested while he's away. And so I really wanted to point out and bring awareness 
about child sexual abuse in the book, but also not just that, you know, people that have been hurt from that, but any hurt, any pain, any bitterness or people that, you know, having trouble forgiving. I believe that this targets those type of readers, those that are, you know, are faith based or just want to read something that's inspirational or even those that are into good family drama. It's good for. So I would say those were the target readers. Nikki, can you go back and think about that time when you were inspired, you got the idea to write this book, and you thought to yourself, man, I got to get started on this. I got to write this. I absolutely can. It was really some years ago when I was watching the news, and I was watching a young, young adult man who was actually being arrested for rape. And on that particular day, it was like several men being arrested for something. And I'm like, man, this young man was arrested for rape. I wonder if that happened to him and nobody listened to him or heard he heard him out, but it wasn't addressed. So then the thought came to about myself because I myself was molested as a little girl by family members. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. And so I asked God, I'm like, you know, what can I do to help? I know I can't help this young man with what he did. And it doesn't excuse what he did. But how can I help, like, be a voice for those that may have been gone through, you know, either rape or sexual abuse or molestation? How can I help? And out of the blue, it, it, it took some days or even a, probably a month, I, I started writing. And it just formulated into a story. And so God told me that this story was going to be the mouthpiece to help others, you know, bring awareness and help others and help people forgive that has gone through this situation. Well, this book has such an important message. I know a lot of readers are going to be comforted by its words. And I encourage everybody listening to definitely check it out. Again, the title is Change of Heart, Never Say Never. It's written by Nikki R. Miller and is published by Christian Faith Publishing, so you can get it everywhere, like on Amazon or Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and also traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Well, Nikki, really enjoyed my time here with you tonight. Thanks again for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thank you. I appreciate it, Corey. <laughs> There's a new audiobook. It just hit stores, written by Joseph Scott West. It's titled The Beginning of Hatchet Man. And I get to find out all about this book. Joseph is right here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Joseph, thank you for being here. Welcome. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Joseph, can you tell me all about the beginning of Hatchet Man? There's um, two teens. I'm guys abused by the parent, sex abuse, abuse, bullying, that thing. Nobody helped them out. So one thing they can do is kill people to end the pain. Joseph, what sort of reading audience did you have in mind for this? It's for everybody, teenagers, adults, it could be for anybody. And what gave you the idea for the plot of this book? A lot of things happening, stuff, and I guess thinking about how to make it come alive, you would say. I just took some time thinking about it, how to write it, and it come to me. We saw a lot of people being abused sex abuse and gotten them back to app them. Mm. So the only thing they can do is let out the pain. So that's give me idea to write this book. Joseph, have you written and published before this, or is this your first book? This is my first time. Oh, congratulations. Did it take you a really long time to write and put through that publishing process? It took me about a year to do it. And it took me some couple months to figure out I can write it, figure out the people, what the name's going to be. It took a couple months to do it, and I finally got an idea of it, and I just 
start whining on the last sale and talking about you to audience. And it happens to all of us authors from time to time, and that's writer's block. Joseph, is that something that you encountered with this? Yes, a lot. Oh, how do you get through that? Take time out, bang, I take some breaks from it, mm. and start thinking some more ideas for the book, and it would come to me, and well, one thing leads another thing, I brought in the book. <laughs> And I could only imagine that moment that you open your mailbox and there's a box full of the first copies of this book. And what was that like, talking about the physical copy? After my also told me I got proof of my author stuff, and she sent me the copies of my book, and I was speechless. Tell you, I was the stock. Now, for the audiobook version of this, Joseph, what was it like hearing your book as opposed to reading it off the page like you were used to that whole time? It was like was a life, maybe first time. It make me make people see it, how it is in the book, and you realize it in your head, and it would be, you'd be fucked. It gave me my wife gift box. When you were looking for that narrator to read this book, was it a challenge to find just the right voice that you were looking for? Yeah. They gave me 30 people, I believe. Then they sent me the copies of it, put of it, dog put of it. And the last two, they did not put my book alive like the third one did. And the guy who done it, I was very pleased with him. And he put his soul, his thought, his heart in the book. And that's why I'm looking for it, and that's why I want. Now, looking down the road, Joseph, have you thought about writing more and getting more published in the future? Yeah, um, after I got a new book coming out soon, I'm wrapping that up soon. It's the uh, remaster of Beginning of Hatchman, and this tells everybody how Tommy become what he is that day by his mom's dad. And I got half of that done already. And I'm taking my time, like that. It takes some time to do it. And I want to make both gifts perfect for my fans and other people who want to read the book. So you've written your first book, and I'm sure it was quite a learning experience. So based on that, Joseph, do you have any advice now that you could offer to the aspiring authors? You got to take your time, think through, make a plan, come up with ideas, and put your plan to work. It's not easy to do. Oh, you might uh, put your heart and invest you're going to get published by somebody. Well, I think a lot of readers and listeners, in this case to the audiobook, are really going to love this. Again, it's titled The Beginning of Hatchet Man. It's written by Joseph Scott West, and it's published by the Audiobook Network. So head over to Audible or iTunes or Amazon, and you'll be able to find this. Well, Joseph, I really appreciate you coming on the show here today and letting me know all about your audiobook. I had a nice time chatting with you. Well, thank you. My Walk with God and Beyond. That's the name of the new book, It Just Hit Stores, written by Baga. And I'm going to find out all about this book. Baga is right here with me at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Baga, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here with me tonight. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Can you tell me all about what readers can expect in My Walk with God and Beyond? Well, it's about my walk with God through my life, through the trials and tribulations that I've had and the things that I've heard and seen. Baga, what inspired you to write your story and publish it? God. But all through my life, when things would happen, people would say, 
you really need to write a book. This would be uh, like ridiculous already. <laughs> and I, I had it in the back of my mind. I like that. Well, this doesn't happen to everybody all the time. So, you know, I had it in the back of my mind, but then I started writing just to get it out on paper. So, you know, my kids could have it, my grandchildren could have it, and it just started flowing. And then, you know, God told me, you know, you need to put it in a book. Did you have certain readers in mind for this, people who would be really into your story? I think anybody would be curious to know about what God has to say in my life. It does exist, and I want people to know that. And uh, the things that I'm not anybody special, these things can happen to anybody as long as they believe and they study and they want to dig into their faith. Now, would you say this is a book primarily for a Christian audience, or do you think there's something that non-Christians could get from it as well? Well, I think they might be curious. If they're non-Christian, they should be open to it. Hmm. They should be open to anything. You know, there's enough Christians out there where they should be curious as to what is so special about God. Now, when it comes to writing and publishing and everything like that, have you ever done anything like this before, or is this your first book? No, this is my first book. Congratulations. How long did this take you to write and publish? Well, you know, I just started writing, and then I'd stop, and then I'd start, and then I'd stop. And it's a very emotional journey because it is my life history. I don't know. I mean, I guess the actual writing probably could have been a few months, but of course it was over years that I transpired into this book. And when that day finally came and you got your first copy in the mail and you got to hold it for the first time, what was all that like for you? It was like, I couldn't believe it. I actually still can't believe that I look at the book and say, oh my God, <laughs> this, this is it. This is for real, you know? I'm just amazed. Have you given any thought to writing another? Actually, I have started another one, but that will take time for sure. And what did you find the most challenging part of it to you, especially when it comes to that publishing process where there's just so much involved? What do you think the most challenging part of that was? I think it was just rereading everything and editing and going through that and then the art part of it and getting that the way I wanted it to be, the corrections and the corrections and the corrections. Yeah, it's time consuming that way, but... You know, it's worth it in the end. You know, I can hold that book in my hand and say, oh, yeah, here it is. Do you have any advice now that you could offer to aspiring authors now that you've written and published for the first time? And I'm sure you learned a lot. Well, I think you just write with your heart and soul. Just get it out on paper. You can make yourself an outline of what you think you want to say. And, you know, all of a sudden we'll start writing and say, oh, wait, I want to put that in there. And I remember this one, you know. And it'll all start flowing, but you just have to get started, really. Now, when you write, do you find yourself having a sort of routine to it when you do it, maybe first thing in the morning or maybe late at night? Or did you find yourself writing whenever maybe you were inspired and you could find the time? Yeah, mostly when I was inspired. I'm not a morning person, so mm. <laughs> it would probably be in the afternoon. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, you just say, oh, yeah, okay, you know, I'm going to write today. Yeah. I mean, there's days when you don't ah, forget it, you know, but then there's days that you say, yeah, I want to write. And you can write for a couple of hours, you know, you do it in words, so you can just edit it anytime you want and you put things in or take things out. So it does make it simple that way. It's just not like I'm a typewriter or like it used to be. Well, I know a lot of readers are going to be blessed by this book. Again, it's titled My Walk with God and Beyond. It's written by Baga. It's published by Christian Faith Publishing, 
So head over to Amazon or Barnes & Noble or iTunes or take a walk down the street to your local bookshop and you'll be able to pick up this book. Well, Baga, thank you again for talking with me tonight all about your work. I had a really nice time. Oh, thank you so much for interviewing me. I appreciate this. I'm checking out a new audiobook written by James Reagan. It's titled The Secret of Edamanonki. And I get to find out more about this book. I have James with me now right here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. James, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. Well, thank you. I appreciate you uh, giving me the time to talk about my book. I'm excited to have you here, James. I'm excited to learn about this book, The Secret of Edamanonki. Can you tell me all about it? Well, the book begins with the Visigoth invasion of the Roman Empire, and a decision is made in Ravenna to ship part of the imperial treasury out ahead of the Visigoth army to Ostia, where it disappears. As time moves forward, the Roman Catholic Church, who is engaged in a very expensive war, motives of its existence, and he sent a priest to the Holy Lands to find it. And my story begins at the Battle of Hatton, where the Sahaladin, the Sultan, has crushed the Christian army. And my hero knight, who's left for dead on the battlefield, Sir Byron Fitzwalter, is fleeing to the Sea of Galilee, where he runs into this priest. And my priest, Aaron, my knight, is badly wounded. He's on death's door, and the priest and his assistant monk by the name of Brother Carl take the knight. And they take him to a place that they, that they call the Caverns of the Apostles. And there they wait, try to, because they're going to try to return to the city of Pyre, because the priest wants the Archbishop Gossius for assistance. The story is that Christian Church is trying to get this treasure back into Rome. And the priest takes this knight, who can also speak Arabic, and they return to Rome. And in Rome, the decision is made because of Sahaladin's war that they are going to try to put together an expedition of silk merchants and travel down the Euphrates to the city of Aleppo to the city of Babylon where the centurion took it. In the meantime, Sahaladin has captured a group of Christians and has learned the treasure to existence. And in torturing one of Bill Father Villardine's priest's assistants, who they inadvertently kill, and though the priest knows where it's at, but they themselves aren't sure where the priest or the centurion took it. And so the Sultan Saladin sends his own man, Asimuddin, to track the Christians. And so when the Christians return to the Levant, his men start tracking him down, or as it seems like any man to track the Christians down the Euphrates. So in the end, they both converge on the city of Babylon and the ziggurat at Adam and Anki, where the centurion had taken his treasure and left it. And you have to read the book how it turns out. That's the gist of the story. Wow, sounds really exciting. Who do you think would be really into this? Did you have a target readership in mind? A lot of it's historical fiction to a certain degree. It's an adventure story, and, you know, the facts are made up. But a lot of the people involved are real people. A lot of the events that happen in the story are real events. And so that would be the group that might find it interesting. Then you have the adventure group because, of course, these are knights. My knight fights several battles, taking his treasure down. The other thing, it kind of has a religious component to it based on the kind of characters in the time frame of 1187 when this story takes place. So that's kind of the three groups I think would find it so interesting. We're talking about the audiobook edition here. James, what was it like whenever you heard your book being read as opposed to reading it off the page like you were used to for so long? Mark Rice Oxley did a phenomenal, fantastic job of bringing all the voices to life. 
you know, I wrote the story and I know where it's going, but I found it just completely entertaining the way he brought the whole story to life. He's describing the events and he's the excitement in his voice when the exciting parts are happening or just the way he's voiced the character instead he nailed them spot on as to who they are. And it's really phenomenal to listen to him talk because, or read the story, because he does such a good job in varying in the voices you can almost picture each person talking as a story. And in fact, it's just heavy narrating, but it really brought it to life. Do you think you would do it again? Have you thought about writing more? Actually, I've got the second book done. I'm working on getting the stakes out of it, which is just a tiny considered project. But I'm hoping to publish that second book soon, which is a continuation of the first book. Wonderful. Well, I think readers are going to love this book. I encourage my listeners to seek this out. Again, the title is The Secret of Anki. It's written by James Reagan and is published by the Audiobook Network. So, of course, you can find it anywhere that you pick up your audiobooks, like on Audible, iTunes, or the Amazon Store, or anywhere. Well, James, thanks again for coming on the show and telling me all about this. I had a really nice time talking with you tonight. Well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. You have a good day. There's an epic story told in the new book by Frank Digweed. It's titled Silent Survival, and I get to talk all about this book. The author, Frank, is right here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Frank, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me. My pleasure. The pleasure's all mine. Can you tell me what readers can expect here in Silent Survival? Well, the book Silent Survival takes place in the mid-1800s. The story begins with the immigration of an Irish family to America. These folks, they land in Boston, Mass. And from there, a couple of members of the family journey west. They claim a homestead land, and they build a farm. Now, the whole story revolves around all the hardships that this one family endures. Just to start a new life. And, you know, I think the reader will find between the covers, love and hate, honestness, injustice, greed and violence. And a whole lot of racism. There's lots of mystery, too. The book's got many twists and turns. In the end, it'll show how good overcomes evil and how strength can rise up to avenge injustice. It's going to keep you on your toes. Well, Frank, what kinds of readers were you writing for here? Who do you think would be really into this? I think that anybody that enjoys a story of history that's filled with suspense and intrigue, they'll like the book. There's a lot of interaction of forces, powerful people competing for land. I think people are going to enjoy this. Well, Frank, how did you get the idea for this story? What inspired you? Well, I was inspired by some of the reading I did and also by my grandfather. I always wanted to write a book, but I didn't know if I could do it or not. And he always told me, don't ever be afraid to try something different. So that's pretty much my inspiration. Mm, So this is your first book, the first time you've been published. It is. It is the first book I've published. Quite an adventure. Wow, congratulations. How long did this all take you? Well, it took me quite a while. A good two years. That's not counting all the rewrites and a whole bunch of editing. Then when that day came and you finally got the first copy, you got to actually hold your book for the first time, Frank. What was that moment like for you? Well, I got a sense of accomplishment, I guess you'd say, and I had succeeded in doing something that's way outside my comfort zone. I'm a machinist by trade, so this is quite a stretch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been, it's been good. I've learned a lot. Hopefully I put something out that the reader's going to really like. You just mentioned that you learned a lot along the way of doing this. Do you have any advice now that you could offer to authors who are just starting out? 
Yeah, I would say, like my grandfather, I said, don't be afraid to try something new. Mm. If you do this, you should be prepared for some hard work. Don't get discouraged, and above all, enjoy the whole experience I did. Well, Frank, have you given thought to writing more, maybe doing a follow-up to this one, or something maybe different in the future? Yes, I have. You know, I've got a rough draft, and I think that possibly I'd take this storyline and the characters in it and then move it on to probably another later time. The people would age, and they'd have children, and they'd move the whole storyline up the whole time segment. Now, earlier we mentioned the publishing process, the rewrites, and everything involved in that. Frank, what did you find the most challenging aspect of that publishing process? Well, I was not so much challenged about using my imagination and creating a story, but getting familiar with my computer and putting everything together in a proper form. Like I say, I've never written anything before, so it's quite a different experience. <laughs> did you find yourself getting writer's block at any point? Oh, yeah. I think I picked this thing up and put it down oh, a whole bunch of times. I think my grandfather, I keep coming back to him because he said, don't ever give up on something, you know? And I put a lot of work into it. And the more work I put into it, the more, more of a challenge it was, and the more I was determined to bring it to an end. Now that you're a published author, Frank, what's the most rewarding aspect of that for you? My sense of accomplishment. Like I said before, I'm a toolmaker by trade, and just to pick up something like this that I've always wanted to do and bring it through to completion is really, really, really satisfying. I think a lot of readers are going to love this story. I encourage my listeners to go check it out. Again, it's titled Silent Survival. It's written by Frank Digweed, published by Newman Springs Publishing, and it's available everywhere, so head on over to Amazon or Barnes & Noble or iTunes, also traditional brick-and-mortar stores, and you'll be able to pick this up. Well, Frank, thank you again for coming on the show and telling me all about this. I had a nice time talking with you. Okay, well, thank you. I'm delighted to be joined by author Sharon L. Reidenbach here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Sharon, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here with me. Well, I count it a privilege to be on your show and to share this story that is a multi-level meaning, and I'm anxious to share it with you. I'm really excited to find out all about it. The book's called Royalty or Shepherds, A Christmas Story. This just came out, so Sharon, can you tell me all about it? Yes, it's a different twist as a multicultural angelic choir and orchestra announces Jesus' birth. And the king, though, only wants his special royal people to hear this exciting news first. And, of course, the angels are just so excited and they say, yay, you know, the king's going to be a dad. And royalty will wear, they think it's royalty, will wear long flowing robes and feathers and rings. But all they find are shepherds that are guarding the dirty, smelly sheep. And but this lyrical romp, I take you with the maestro and the angels as they try to discover where the royal people are. But in the end, they find that they don't see them anywhere. And the only ones that are left are these shepherds and the dirty sheep. And they guess, well, if that's what the king wants us to sing and play to, that's who we will, and they go and take their places. And then the rest of the story continues. Sharon, would you say this is a book primarily for younger children, older children, or children of all ages? <laughs> Initially, on the surface, it is children for four to eight. 
But the questions that I have developed at the end are multi-level. In other words, the reader can take it as deep as they want or as simple as they want. The gist of the story is without telling. You don't ever want to tell a child something. They need to discover it on their own because then they take ownership in it. And so is how do we look at other people that are different? How do we view them? And so that's why I made the angels that are little multicultural. They're dressed up in all types of different outfits that represent different countries. In fact, a uh, biracial little boy with his mom read it. You look at it, and they gave me an endorsement on it then. And he said, Mom, there's someone like me in this story. Oh, wow. And then he also said, which was also one of my goals, he said, I didn't know children could be angels and go to heaven. Then he laughed, which I hadn't picked up on myself. He laughed all the way through at the maestro because he kind of looks like a wild Einstein. <laughs> he really liked that. So I had a fantastic illustrator. So all of this comes out so clearly in the book. Wonderful. Sharon, how are you inspired to write this? Where did the idea come from? Well, when I look at different books with their angels and they're all kind of white and glowing and so on, and I think, well, what about the children? What do they think about when they see that? And what do they see? And because I do ask questions with everything that I read, and then I got to thinking not only how did the children see it, how did the angels feel about making the grandest news in the world to just shepherds? What were they looking for? So I guess you would say it evolved. The more I looked into it, the more I got excited as to the possibilities as to where this book could go. And when you got that first copy of Royalty or Shepherds in, and you finally got to hold this and look at this book, Sharon, what was that moment like for you? Oh, I'm a little bit different when I get something that means so much to me. I almost waited to open up the box because I was so excited. And I just wanted to own it and open it all by myself. And so I did. I opened it and I just stood there and then I held it and I just had to make it my own. It was very moving. Well, this book certainly has a lot of great messages and I encourage my listeners to go check this out. Again, the book is called Royalty or Shepherds, A Christmas Story. It's written by Sharon L. Reidenbach and is published by Christian Faith Publishing. So head over to Amazon or Barnes & Noble, iTunes, or traditional brick-and-mortar stores, and you'll find this book. Sharon, thank you again for coming on the show and telling me all about this book and your writing process. I had a nice time talking with you. Thank you, and I just so appreciate you giving me the opportunity to share this with other friends who are writing, those who want to read to children and to have them grow and think on their own. A New Pentecost for a Starving World. It's the new book. It just came out. It's published by Christian Faith Publishing, written by Thomas Varkey. And Thomas is right here with me now on the Reader House Author Roundtable, and we're going to talk all about this book. Thomas, welcome to the show. I appreciate you being here with me. I'm excited. Thank you. Well, thank you for being here. Can you tell me all about what readers can find when they open up A New Pentecost for a Starving World? This book is about two ministries that I, I really think that is very extremely necessary for the church 
of Jesus Christ today, regardless of denomination, because the two things that are absolutely necessary for Christians to be saved, to go to heaven, according to Jesus in John 3 and 3, 5, one must be born again. So that is the one ministry. And let me say a little bit about that ministry before I go to the second one. David is described as a man after God's own heart in uh, Acts 13.22. Now, he didn't overnight become that. It was a growing process. You know, David was very devoted. He loved God dearly. He wanted to be really, really intimate with God, and he tired every bit of it. But unfortunately, he underestimated the power of sin to make us go astray if we are not extremely careful and we are not on a growing path of holiness. That is why, even though he was very devoted to God, he sinned with Bathsheba and committed adultery, which is described in the second book of Samuel, chapter 11. Once he committed the sin with Bathsheba, he realized how miserable it was. He felt like his bones were being crushed and he was being drained away. Also, there was no water, no water in, in his whole system. In other words, he felt terrible. He felt like never before, so he cried out to the Lord. And this incident is mine. And how he felt is described in Psalm 32, I believe. And in Psalm 51, he cries out to the Lord in desperation. He said, renew in me a spirit that sustains me and do not take away the Holy Spirit from me. Yeah, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. We need the Holy Spirit to sustain us. Then only a Christian can meet himself and grow in holiness and be intimate with the God. But he realized the need of this when he actually lost his fellowship with God. And that is why the born-again ministry is so important because, you know, we had to be, have a second birth. In, if you read Galatians 6.15, it says that it doesn't matter circumcision or uncircumcision. That doesn't matter. What really counts is being a new creation. Say, like, I'm a Catholic, so in Catholic Church there is a confession. You uh, come in since you can go for a confession and get restored. That is like, in a way, it is like a circumcision. You try to cut off your tendencies to sin, what you call behaviorally speaking, and then you go back and commit sin again. So that doesn't work. But when you become a new creation in Christ, as Jesus tells Nicodemus in John 3, then one becomes a new creation. So that's all. It can work. That can sustain that spirit that is willing to obey God. Being controlled by the Spirit, that is what is the most important thing in being a born again Christian. Before he was restored, he had the Holy Spirit. He was full of Holy Spirit to a great extent. But every behavior, every act that he performed was not totally controlled by the Spirit. But when you become a born-again Christian, everything, your thoughts, your deeds, your talk, everything becomes controlled by the Holy Spirit. I think a lot of readers are going to get a lot out of this book. Again, the title is A New Pentecost for a Starving World. It's written by Thomas Varkey and published by Christian Faith Publishing. 
So, of course, you can get it everywhere, like on Amazon or Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and also traditional brick-and-mortar stores. And Thomas, thank you again for joining me here on the show and telling me about your work. I had a nice time talking with you. Thanks for your time. God bless you. Have you ever felt like you were alone, like you were the only one going through something? Well, then this book I'm holding right now is a book for you. It's titled The Broken Road. It's written by Mary Boyle, and we're going to talk all about this book here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Mary is here with me. Mary, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Absolutely. Can you tell me, Mary, all about The Broken Road and, and what readers can expect here? Well, readers can expect a reflection of my life. It was a testimony of how God had walked me through and protected me over a number of years that I didn't realize until I was older. And I thought that it might help someone else to know that they weren't alone if they were walking a similar road. Mary, when it comes to writing and being published, is this your first time or do you have experience here? No, it is my first time to have it published. I have done a lot of dissertations and things like that, but nothing like this. Did this take you a long time to write or did it go fairly quickly for you? Well, actually, it took a couple of years because I started it and I kind of put it down and kind of forgot about it. And then I had a friend prodding me. And so I got back in it and just actually finished it up pretty quickly. And then it was tabled for a little while, but, you know, then finally published it. And then what was it like when you finally got to hold it in your hands and, and see your name on the cover and everything? Well, it was very exciting because, you know, it's always nice to finally see a finished product when you wonder, is it ever really going to be done, you know? <laughs> well, Mary, when it comes to writing and publishing, there's an awful lot involved in that publishing end of things. I'm, I'm sure you're aware of that now. Is there anything that you found particularly challenging about that end? Well, you know, being self-published, of course, the funding, mm -hmm. you know, you're self-publishing it yourself. But, you know, it's still rewarding after all this time because so many people that I've shared it with have given me some positive feedback that I think it was well worthwhile, you know, getting it published. And I had a fantastic experience with the publishing company. So That's fantastic. And it sounds like you had a good support system around you, people who could encourage you. Yes, I did. I did. Now, based on everything you've experienced writing and publishing for the first time, is there anything you picked up, Mary, that you could throw out there for the aspiring authors who are listening? Well, you know, one thing I would pick up is that if there is a story within you, be it fictional or nonfictional, that you want to put on paper, do it. It's very therapeutic in a lot of ways. Don't put it off. I put it off quite a number of years before I ever started it and finished it. So by the time I finished, I was like, I should have done this sooner. And so, you know, I would say, don't put it off. Just go ahead and bite the bullet and at least get it on paper and then make the decision on what you want to do with it. And when it came to things like what the book was actually going to look like, like the cover and everything like that, was that a challenge or did that go smoothly for you? You know, it wasn't. I had already in my mind pictured how I wanted the cover to be. I wanted it to be someone from the back walking down a road. 
like a dirt road, you know? And so they came up with the uh, cover for me with that description, and it was just awesome. Looking down the road, Mary, do you see yourself writing more and having more published in the future? You know, I don't know if I'll have things published, but I do write all the time. And there may be some other things. I have a storyline that I would like to write that has to do with my late husband. And so that may come about, about his experience. But I'm just not sure right now. But hopefully others will get inspiration and help from it. Well, I think there'll be a lot of readers who are inspired by this book. Again, the title is The Broken Road. It's written by Mary Boyle, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. So you can find it anywhere. Go on over to Amazon or Barnes & Noble or iTunes or traditional brick-and-mortar stores, and you'll be able to pick this one up. Mary, thanks again for coming on the Reader House Author Roundtable with me here and telling me all about The Broken Road and what you do. I had a really nice time tonight. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm looking at a book titled The Adventures of Silly Sally and the Prickly Bush. This is a book written by Pamela M. Starnes, and I'm going to find out all about it. The author, Pam, is right here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Pam, welcome to the show. I really appreciate you being here tonight. Thanks, Corey, for having me. Absolutely. Pam, tell me all about The Adventures of Silly Sally and the Prickly Bush. What's it all about? Well, Silly Sally is a little sheep. She's part of a flock, as she's prone to be. In this episode, she follows her sisters one day, and they lead her off the path, and she gets caught in a prickly bush. But a good thing, her shepherd comes along and rescues her, and her sisters apologize, and she forgives them, and all is happy in sheepland. It's just a message for children that, you know, you need to be careful where you roam and not follow the long leaders. A great message. I noticed you said in this episode. So, Pam, is this part of a series? It is. The second one is already in the publisher's hands, and the third one is dancing around in my head. What kinds of readers did you have in mind? Would these be for younger readers or a little bit older? Well, that's an interesting question because readers from 12 down to, you know, one, when their parents read to them, have read it, and I've gotten a variety of reactions. A lot of them like the illustrations, and Hmm. that pleases me because my granddaughter drew the illustrations. Oh, wow. So, you know, as a proud grandmother, (laughs) (laughs) I'm excited to hear that. One little boy, a young man, he's he's nine, he said, wow, she's a really good author. It rhymes. (laughs) 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 I was very amused by that, but you never know. I mean, (laughs) it was pretty funny. Pam, can you tell me how you got the idea for this book? How were you inspired? Well, about five years ago, my granddaughter, who is the illustrator, we were studying Psalm 23, and we were memorizing it. It was a snowy day here, so we were stuck inside, and that seemed like a good thing to do that day. And I said to her, Naomi, do you have any images in your head of what it would be like to be a shepherd and have sheep to take care of? So she just kind of sketched out a few rough drafts, and I really liked them. And I thought, hmm, I wonder if I could do something with this. So over the course of those years, I've played with several sheep, different names, different scenarios. Until last October, we went to the beach for a work week, and I made myself sit down and write out a storyline. And in November, I submitted it. 
and it was accepted, and no one was more surprised than me. (laughs) (laughs) Pleasantly so. And then that day comes, Pam, and you finally get your first copy in, and you get to hold your book. What was that moment like for you? I mean, that was so exciting. (laughs) It's like, oh, it's real. You know, up until this point, it had just been emails back and forth, editing, and you decide, making decisions, and I just couldn't believe it. Wow, this thing is really really happening. (laughs) So uh, (laughs) it was fun. I loved it. So was this your first foray then into the world of publishing? Yes. Yes, and I, I entered it with fear and trembling. <laughs> I don't like rejection. <laughs> oh. And actually, I only submitted it to one publishing house. You know, I don't like rejection. Do I need to say it again? <laughs> well, I mean, how many times did I take it? So they called me. I was driving down the road from Covenant Books and said, well, we've accepted your manuscript. And I told him, I said, if I wasn't driving, I would jump for joy. So <laughs> it was an exciting day. And when you think about the whole publishing process, is there any one thing about it that you found particularly challenging? Getting the manuscript back and forth between the editors and myself, I kind of lost track of my original layout. I had to kind of rewrite like whole pages because I couldn't just take their one word or their one suggestion. I had to kind of rewrite it all. So that was a little challenging, but, you know, it wasn't insurmountable. It was fun. It worked out. I think it made it a better book. I love the message in this book, and I know a lot of readers will, too. Again, the title is The Adventures of Silly Sally and the Prickly Bush. It's written by Pamela M. Starnes, and it's published by Covenant Books. So, of course, you can get it anywhere, like on Amazon or at Barnes & Noble or iTunes, and also traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Pam, thank you so much for talking with me tonight all about The Adventures of Silly Sally and the Prickly Bush and everything else you got going on. I really appreciate you being here. Yes, well, thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. We hope to see you back here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first.